right, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles and uh, we're going to look at John chapter 14 again. And we're going to focus in on uh, the reality of the fact that you are not alone. And that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And, and I'll be honest with you folks, um, maybe it's timely that we're looking at this because right now in the midst of all that's going on, the feelings of loneliness are greatly amplified. First of all, Christmas season does that for some folks automatically. Typically, not everybody's happy about Christmas. Christmas is actually a depressing time for some folks. But for all of us now, we're, we're, we're experiencing some sort of isolation that just wears on us. And one of the things that we struggle with in the midst of it, because we have no control. And when you have no control, let, let's be, well, first of all, let's, can we acknowledge we like being in control? I mean, we like being in control, period. Okay, And when you have no control and no hope of control, that really wears on you. And you feel so isolated and you don't know what to do with it. And so then you multiply that, not just by one person, but you multiply that by hundreds of people around you who are all feeling like everything's out of control and they're and they're on edge and they're nervous and, and they don't know what to do and they just feel isolated. So you can even be in a group of people and you feel very alone. You've been there, I've been there. Maybe you're there right now. But that's why we've gone to John chapter 13 through 16 to look at some key sections in this upper room discourse, really the encouragement that Jesus gave his disciples right before he would be betrayed and leave them. As he wants to encourage them that they're not alone. They're never going to be alone. We're going to see that today. Because if we've looked before, we saw it last week that he, he gave us a promise, a promise of some Passages will say some versions. I think the New King James says the helper. The Old King James says the comforter. Uh, the NIV says the counselor. The word is parakletos in its original language. There's no English word that that really translates into. It's, it really means someone who comes alongside of you. So all of the words that we use in our versions, helper, comforter, counselor, those are all reflective of that thing, but it's, it's so much more somebody who's walking with you. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Somebody who's helping you. Like, have you ever hurt your leg and you didn't have a pair of crutches and you needed to lean on somebody to, to get you to the next wherever? Or maybe it wasn't even your leg, you just were out of it and somebody had to help you and guide you. That, that's kind of like what we're talking about here. And, and let's be honest, as we're going through life, we need somebody like that, right? We really need somebody to, to guide us through what we don't know what's going on about. And, and let's be honest, we just talked about the age we live in, especially when you're not feeling in control, right? We need 
to help her. We need to know that we're not alone. So we're going to progress right on in our passage today. We're going to go up to verses 22 and 27. And we're going to see that there's this question that's raised. The disciples just aren't getting it. They don't understand it. And really, if you understand where they're coming from, you would, you would be, probably be in the same boat. You would say, yeah, I don't understand either. I just gave three years of my life to follow Jesus. I thought he's going to come and throw out the Romans and establish the kingdom. Because that's what they're thinking. And he's not doing what I thought he would do. Ever been that way with God? Me, many times. God, I thought you were going to do this. Ever said that? And that's where we are here. So I want you to notice with me. Look at verse 22. The 12 had a fellow by the name of Judas, not Iscariot. He wants to make sure that we understand this is not Judas Iscariot. This is the other disciple named Judas. Look at what verse 22 says. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord... How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to basically divide this passage into three sections. We're going to look at verse 22. We're going to look at that question that Judas asked. It's a pretty interesting question. kind of reveals some things. If you look with me, it says there, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Now, that word manifest is interesting. You might be like, what does that mean? Does that mean just show? Well, what they were thinking is this. They were thinking in their mind that the Messiah, who they believe Jesus is, would show himself to everybody. Now, what does that mean? It wouldn't be like, oh, here I am. No, when they talk about showing, that's kind of like, well, a presentation, a like presenting yourself as the victor, showing up on a white horse conquering, letting it be known that you are here to throw everyone else. It, it has with it the whole connotation that you are coming as the conqueror to make everything right. So in their mind, they're thinking, Jesus, you're going to show up, you're going to set everything right, Israel is going to be the great country that it was before. You are going to be its leader as the son of David. The Romans are going to be thrown out. Oppression will be gone. Freedom will be there. So here's the question. 
because they've been listening to what he's been saying to them. So how are you going to do the, show us that but not the rest of the world? It doesn't make any sense to them because then they're thinking when he shows himself, when he manifests himself for as he really is, everybody's going to see it. So Judas is wondering, hey, wait a minute now. How's that possible? So here's two things I want you to see here. First one's this. They had preconceived ideas about Jesus. They had preconceived ideas about Jesus. That's easy to have, isn't it? I'll tell you how they gathered them. Typically, how they gathered them was because they maybe listened to a speaker somewhere who said something and said, well, this is what's going to happen. Or they listened to teaching or they listened to, to what people were saying were going to happen that had no foundation in God's word. But they felt that that's what the Messiah would do. They kind of grasped the hold of the popular thinking of the time. And at that time, they had a lot of popular thinkings about who the Messiah was and what he would do. In fact, their thinking about the Messiah actually ignored things that the Scripture did say. So, for instance, they totally missed Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, where it describes the brutality that the Messiah would go through which very much fits with what happened to Jesus on the cross. But they didn't see that. that. That never entered into their mind. They thought that's talking about the prophet or something. They didn't think that it was talking about the Messiah because they had a preconceived idea in their mind. Folks, can I be honest with you? You and I operate on preconceived ideas. And a lot of times it's because of slogans. A lot of times it's because of slogans that we hear, Christian slogans. And, and we're good for slogans, right? T-shirt sayings. Things that we can post on Facebook in a little picture with a saying on it. Wow, this is what this person said. And I used to operate that way. I remember in our first church when we, we were in a church plant situation, planting a church in, in Ontario, and uh, we didn't get paid much. And the church didn't have much money but I was a big fan of, I, at that time I read lots of biographies, I was a big fan of Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. And Hudson Taylor said this, and you'll hear this, every once in a while you hear somebody say, God's work done God's way never lacks God's supply. Have you ever heard that statement before? I had this preconceived motion that that's the way it's supposed to be. That if we do God's work his way, we'll never lack God's supply. That's not reality. In fact, I'll tell you why it's not reality. We went without pay three different times in that church. Now that would be like, well, if you listen to that slogan and live by it, well, maybe you weren't doing it God's way, George. No, that's not it at all. Because the reality is that's not in the Bible anywhere. That's a nice slogan. And really, it was great for Hudson Taylor because it guided his ministry. 
but that's not my ministry. But I developed this preconceived idea about who God is and how God acts. So can you can I tell you what happened? When he didn't show up, like I thought he would because I had this preconceived idea, I got upset. Think about that in your life. What are the preconceived ideas that you have? Here's one that I hear all the time. God just wants me to be happy. God wants us to be happy and blessed. At this point in my life now as a pastor, I say, what do you mean by that? Is that the absence of problems? Well, let's be honest. Every book in the New Testament says you're going to what? Suffer, if you know Jesus. The times are going to be difficult. See, we have these preconceived ideas. They did too, which led to my second point here. They struggled with reconciling Jesus' actions with their ideas about him. This is the hardest thing the disciples were wrestling with here. They thought Jesus was showing up. They're going to be his right-hand man. Kingdom's going to be established. They're on the gravy train. Yes, he's going to be king, but he'll be, they'll be his counselors or rulers or whatever with him. And he's saying this stuff about he's going to die and he's going away. And they're like, what? We just gave up three years of our lives. You can see where the struggle is happening within their hearts about this. It's very real to them. Some of the wrestling matches we have with God, can I be honest with you? Is because we struggle with trying to understand him as we reconcile it with something we felt was true about him but wasn't necessarily true. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that, is that real to us here? We have these preconceived ideas about God. And, and I'll be honest with you, I've watched it through the years. People who come, they'll get excited about the Lord, and then something devastating will happen, and they'll walk away, and they'll say, I'm never going to have anything to do with God again. And it's because they had a preconceived idea. And, and I sit there, and I'm thinking, where did they get that from? It comes from anywhere. See something on TV, somebody will tell you. Here's this one. If you come to Jesus, everything will be okay. Is everything okay for us who know Jesus? No. No, actually, I would say it got worse, right? So they struggled with reconciling. And that's what's going on. So here's how Jesus responds to it. And from this, we get a bigger picture of why you and I are not alone. It, it's really the thing that you and I need to hear right now because, let's be honest, we have preconceived ideas about God and this whole situation that we're in right now with the COVID and how the COVID's affecting the economy and affecting the way everybody's acting and how it's affecting us at work and how it's affecting us in our families and how it's affecting us personally, whether emotionally or mentally. We have these preconceived ideas, and, and we're like, does God understand? Has he done something for me? I feel alone. And, and you look at what he's saying, and you realize, yeah, he does understand. And he 
made some preparations for us. So let's take it first. Let's look at, first of all, the reality that you're not abandoned. So stop, first of all. You ever felt that way? I mean, literally. You're in the midst of a crisis. Nobody understands. And you just feel so alone and you have no one to help. In fact, maybe you have been abandoned. People walk away. You ever been there? It's not a great place to be, right? Look at what he says here, verse 23 and 25. Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Let me give you a couple of three things here. First of all, God will always be with those whose love is expressed in obedience. God's always going to be with you. He's going to be with you not because you say, I love you, Jesus. Words don't mean anything. It's actions. He's going to be with those who are living their lives for him. He's always going to be with you. How do I know he's always going to be with you? Look at that last part there, verse 23. And we will come and make our home with him. Can I tell you what, it, what it's, it's like Jesus and God are saying, we're moving in. We're moving in. Now that's a scary thought if you think about some people in your life. What do you mean you're moving in? I don't want you moving in with me. But if you think about God... Jesus, he's moving in. But where's he moving into? It isn't your house. It's your heart. It's your life. So that he's always with you. You're not abandoned. Okay, so you say, well, wait a minute now, George, because... I'm trying to understand this. So here he was. Judas is saying, so how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because they got this preconceived idea about what he's going to do. And Jesus is trying to tell them, guys, forget that. Forget that. That's not what I'm talking about here. I want you to understand how I'm going to manifest it to you is I'm going to be with you. And the world can't see it. And we all know that, right? You have Jesus. And you have people around you who don't know Jesus. Jesus is real to you. You see Jesus every day in your lives. But the people around you, they don't see that. In fact, they say, well, that's a nice coincidence. They don't see it. He's real to you. God will always be with those whose Love is expressed in obedience. In fact, he goes on and he wants to, to delineate that a little bit here. The second point he makes here is this. The nature of your obedience reflects the level of your love for Jesus. So here he is. If you, keep my, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and we'll be with you always. Next thing he says, those who don't do what I'm telling them don't love me. 
And the point is, you want to know how somebody loves Jesus? Look and see if they're doing what he says. And all you have to do is look at just a couple of the commandments he's given. Love the Lord God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yep, I'm doing that. Okay, but here's the other two. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, so you get like the Pharisee. Who's my neighbor? Then Jesus comes along and says, a new commandment I give to you. We have already saw that here, chapter 13, right? That you love one another as I have loved you. Really, that's what he's talking about here, folks. You say you love me, then let me see that in your lives as you do what I'm telling you to do. And so the nature of our obedience reflects the level of love for Jesus. That, that's what's going on here. So that brings up the third point here. So that you understand this is not just Jesus' words. He says this, everything that Jesus tells us is directly from God. Look at that last part there, verse 24. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. You say, okay, George, what do, we, what do we do with this? Well, that's where we come to the reality now of the promised one. Okay? So we see this in verses 26 and 27. Let me read you verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I say to you. All right, let me help you to understand what's going on here. All right? So it starts out with this question from a preconceived notion from the Judas. So how are you going to show yourself to us, the Messiah, but not show it to everybody else? And Jesus says, wait a minute, now hold on, you're, you're on a different plane here. If you do what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to make my home with you. The Father and I are going to make our home with you. We're going to be with you. But if you don't do it, well, that shows you don't love me. And just so you understand, the stuff I'm telling you to do, that's from who? God the Father. And so now he says, and this is what's so wonderful about God. All right, are you ready for this one? You write this one down. He understands your weaknesses. He understands what you can do and can't do. He understands that you're going to fail if he were just left up to you to do it. Do you understand? Would everybody agree with that? If, 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 if somebody just came along and said, here's the rules, you might for a few weeks go along and say, oh, I'm doing good on this, but then given the right circumstances, right situation, you'll break that rule. We do that all the time, right? We do that every day. Just try driving through town. He says, I'm going to send you somebody. Really, and here, in fact, it tells us it's not him who's sending. Who? 
The Father is sending him. See, that's the first point I want you to see here. First point, the Holy Spirit was sent to you by God the Father. In Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit, who lives in each and every one of you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, was sent to you by God the Father to help you to do what? The stuff he's telling us to do. The stuff that Jesus is telling us to do, which Jesus just pointed out to us, the stuff I'm telling you to do comes from who? God the Father. Guess what? God the Father then sends who to help us? The Holy Spirit. And remember, when we talk about the helper, think about what the Greek word means. Someone who comes alongside. You ever started a job? You've been given a task. You don't know what in the world you're supposed to do. And thankfully, the boss sends somebody who's experienced to walk beside you to help you to know how to operate that piece of machinery or to do that task to tell you exactly what you need to do. You're kind of like an apprentice for the moment. This is really what the picture is here. He's sending someone to guide us through life. That's what he's talking about here. And here's what he does. The Spirit will teach you and help you to remember. He'll teach you. And let me just say he's a patient teacher. Some of the teachers we, we are used to, it's like they give you it. Okay, I gave you that on Tuesday. I don't need to cover that anymore. Uh, but if you're like me, you're pretty dense. You need three or four months of being told that, right? I'm 54. There's, there's still things I'm still being told. I haven't, it's not getting through the noggin. The Spirit is a patient teacher with us. And so he teaches us what? Can I tell you what he teaches you? Obedience. Let me, in fact, here, let me turn it to you. If you hold your finger in John, I want you to turn over to Titus. Go to the New Testament. To understand what the teacher is, go to Titus. Sorry, I don't have it on the screen for you. It just came to me right now, but man, does it fit. Titus, chapter 2. I'm in Timothy. Go over one book, George. Okay. Here we go. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that it brings salvation has appeared to all men. Look at now at verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, 
Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The grace of God has appeared. What do you mean has appeared? That's the Spirit who brings us what? Salvation. What does he do? He teaches you how to live in this life. And not just teaches you, sometimes you need to be reminded, right? And we've all experienced that, I'm sure. Well, I'm going to go do this. And then you got that nagging thought. Don't. Have you ever tried ignoring it? It gets louder. Kind of reminds me back when I was in this was 1988. I had just finished my first year at uh, Liberty University and um, was home that summer. And I was driving. I had a blazer. It was a Jimmy at that time. And I was late for a meeting in Florence, South Carolina, and I'm in Columbia, and that's two hours away. So I am flying down these back roads to get to the highway to just cruise it to where my appointment was. And I'm cruising at an enormous speed on this back road in South Carolina, and a thought came to me, slow down. I ignored it, kept on going. Not one minute later, a state trooper turns, comes right by me in the other direction. And my eyes looked to my rearview mirror, and he made a big Huey. And $150 later, I learned to drive slower. Why do I remember that? Because it was very clear that day, slow down. The Spirit teaches you how to live, how to, how to respond. Let, let's be honest. When you're talking about the world we live in right now, do we really know how to respond to all the stuff that's going on around us? I mean, we kind of know, but, I mean, stuff's happening every day. That we, like, how do we respond to that? How do we, how do we handle that? How do we, how do we deal with this situation? You just go into sheets and something's crazy going on, you know? You didn't ask for that. How do you respond to that? How do you, how do you react to life? How do you, how do you react? You're working on a project and you can't get the supplies in that you need because there's a disruption in the economy or something. How, how do you deal with this? And, and the pressure's there. And how do you respond to all that? The Spirit will teach you. And He'll remind you. You're not alone. Is that not awesome? And then notice how Jesus follows it up here. Here's the last thing I want you to see. Look with me at verse 27. Why do you think, I, here's what he said. I mean, he says this several times in this upper room discourse, but here he says it again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, Neither let it be afraid. How's that possible? Where's this peace coming from? 
the helper. The helper. I have a friend. I just read, he just wrote a book. And uh, in his book, he is telling about an incident with his granddaughter. They were walking down the street in Bangkok, Thailand. And, uh, I mean, that, that's just craziness there because there's people everywhere, people everywhere. I mean, and you're just constantly rubbing shoulders with people. It's just crazy the amount of people that are there. So he's got his little granddaughter in his hand and they're walking along. And as they're walking along, they see a couple of Thai guys that look pretty rough. And the granddaughter gets nervous. Most little ones would, wouldn't they? Scary looking dudes coming along. And here's what she did. She gripped his hand. And when he gripped her hand back, he felt her become at ease. Like, I'm okay, I'm with granddad. Isn't that, isn't that true for us? It's because we live in this world where we think we're alone and we're, we're nervous and we're fretful, we're worried. You're not alone. And he gives you peace. Through who? The Spirit who's with us. Who comes alongside of us. Why do you think in Philippians, he says, be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's because you have the Spirit. And when you grip a hold of his hand tight, He grips back even tighter to let you know. He's with you. Isn't that awesome? So let me just end with this. You have to start seeing the bigger picture of your faith. That's really what this whole series is about. You have to start seeing the bigger picture of your faith. And can I tell you what that faith is? It's not just some simple belief, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. It is God, and I know him, and he knows me, and he loves me, and he's not abandoned me. He's always with me, and I can go to him, and I can pour out my heart to him. He's always with me. Start seeing the bigger picture of that. Start living there. That'll change your prayer life. That'll change the way you read your Bible. That'll change the way you live your life. Let me pray for you.